dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, we return to Winefabet Street, where the letter of the day is T for Tavel. As a podcaster, I of course listen to other podcasts, and one of my favorites is Glass in Session by Val Caruso. Quite some time ago, she did an episode on Tavel, and her passion for the wine and region was contagious. When it came time for Winefabet Street to discuss Tavel, I immediately asked her if she would join us and share her knowledge, and luckily she agreed. I would also like to thank Chateau Diaquera for supplying Debbie and myself with delicious samples to sip upon as we learn about this rosé region. A big thank you to Diana of Cobrand Corporation for arranging the samples. Lancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody! We are live. Welcome, welcome to Winefabet Street. We are so excited to be here today for the letter T. It is so hard to believe that we are in season two up to the letter T already. And we have a very special guest here today, Val Caruso, who has her own podcast. And uh, she, I listened to the podcast and when I heard her talk about Tavel, her enthusiasm, her love for this wine region just came through. So when we, Debbie and I decided we were going to do tea is for Tavel, I reached out to her and she graciously accepted. So welcome, Val. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you ladies. You guys have such a good time. I can tell. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I am Lori, your co-host, and my husband and I own Dracina Wines in Paso Robles, best known for Cab Franc, but we now also have Chenin Blanc and a Rosé, and we are, uh, I am also Somday Certified, WSET Level 2, and a Champagne Specialist. So Deb, how about you? I'm Debbie Giaquindo. I'm known as the Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. I'm a certified specialist of wine and a wine location specialist in port and champagne. I'm the author of a book, Tapping the Hudson Valley, Day Trips and Weekend Itineraries, uh, visiting all the craft beverage producers and farmers markets and just about anything in the Hudson Valley. And I just recently opened up a restaurant in North Wildwood, New Jersey called Trio North Wildwood. And you can come and you can Buy a bottle of Lori's wine to go for dinner. And um, that's probably it. That's all I can remember. My life has been so good <laughs> past month. And our very special guest, Val, tell everybody about you. Hey, ladies. Well, first of all, this is great timing. I don't know if you knew, I lost my voice for almost six months. Oh no. And I could barely oh talk. Goodness. So I'm just oh, now no. getting it back. I know it's a long story, but wow. yeah, it's good to be here. It's good to be able to talk again. So uh, I'm sorry because <laughs> I can talk <laughs> again. I'm a wine educator. I am a certified wine educator through the Society of Wine Educators. I have my diploma 
in wine and spirits and a French wine scholar. And I'm looking at wall, my wall, champagne master level. But honestly, I just love school. That's the only reason I have all that stuff. I love taking tests. I'm a cork dork. And I, my <laughs> podcast is Glass in Session. And it is about as dorky as my intro sounded. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. And I love when you do the bubbles and you go down the rabbit hole, uh, the cork dork rabbit cork hole. Cork dork alerts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So I'm going to start the video so we can get in because, you know, the most important thing is Debbie and I promised each other in like the middle of season one that we would not drink until we were together. So we're going to show the video so that we can drink. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Because I'm drinking. All right. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to. We're going to start in, in 30 start. seconds. <laughs> Welcome, welcome. This day, um, Wine for Bet Street, we are tea for Cavell. So Debbie and I are drinking Chateau de Acaria. And I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. Acaria, I, I, I'd go with that. You know, I can't pronounce things anyway. Right. I Googled way. it. That's what that's what somebody on, on YouTube, that's what somebody from Cobrand. So we would like to also thank Cobrand for... Yeah for uh, sending us this sample. Um, it was a co-brand video. So oh. I'm hoping that he was saying it right. So here we go. We read. How? No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But what I noticed is every time I see it, it is a very dark color. It is very different than our, you know, California rosés who, you know, we're all about the pale salmon color. Mm -hmm. So is this the typical color of Tavel? You know, it could come in a range of colors, but it's known for being dark like that because of the way they make it with the, the Sanye method. So they they kind of uh, they use a little bit more skin contact. So instead of like that, just that free run juice that you might have with the Provence wines, you know how they're really pale. There's hardly any skin contact at all. But here they kind of let it get all happy, you know, for yeah. what, 36 hours? You know, oh, no, you don't have that in Provence, do you? No. Yeah. So, yeah, we're talking days of skin contact yeah. here. So they let it get all happy before they press it off. And, of course, it's mostly Grenache, which has some nice color and structures, kind of like the house, you know. Right. So the thing I the thing I like about these rosés is because they're not they're kind of in your face. Most most of them. And, I, and I, when I talk about a style, I realize every producer has their own thing. So one producer down the street, like I have the Chateau du Segrier. I don't know if that's how to, I didn't forvo it beforehand, but <laughs> this guy bought this place from his cousin at Domaine de la Morerie <laughs> down the road in 1994. And I believe this winemaker has since passed on, but um, they were cousins and you can see how much lighter this is. This is actually yes. Cote Drone, but they yeah. do a Tavelle also. They do a nice Tavelle that's like this color, but you know, they kind of have the same wine making philosophy there. And it's it's got a lot of structure to it. It's not a, a sissy wine. And I don't mean to say other 
rosés or sissy, but you want a barbecue pork sandwich, I'm going for something like this. You know, something a little yeah. dark, you know, a little more tan in, a little more body than, you know, it's, but it's so quaffable that it doesn't even need food. That's the thing. It, it is a big rosé. So this all one have to age for like 36 months in the bottle? No. Or, I'm sorry, 36, 36 um, hours. Up so they to. Will have to soak up to, so they. Up to. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, you know how normally they just kind of lightly press, right, right. you know, this they kind of like, it's it's like a like a bleeding is what Sanye means, the right. Sanye method. So yeah, it's just a little bit more skin contact for a longer amount of time. So you have time to transfer those, those tannins and those, those compounds that give that wine. It's, you know, the rosé that behaves like a red, you know, right. it's very similar to like a Cherosuolo de Bruzzo, if you've had those from uh from italy that's that's my thing uh okay. but those are made with the montepulciano d'abruzzo grapes and same thing oh, okay. lots of like dark red cherry colors yeah. and some people don't okay. even want to call it a rosé but it's a rosé this is a ro rosé yes. can come in a wide yeah. variety of shades and hues colors and styles so it's really kind of not fair to generalize them all as big because there's probably a Tavel producer out there going yeah mine's a little bit more elegant you know maybe my soils are more sandy and I have a little more more elegance in my wine so we don't and and I don't know all the producers that well to even begin comparing like mm -hmm. to Chateau de Caria Decoria whichever one that you have I've right. had that producer but I I wouldn't know it in a blind tasting to be honest right. okay but I, I've loved it I know I drank the whole bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any actual regulations to be Tavel other than yes. having to be produced there? Yes. And <laughs> what's really funny is I pulled up on, on my show, I pulled up what they call the Cahiers de Charge. And what that is, every French wine, and this is great for podcasters, anyone doing a presentation or wanting to learn, you pull up what they call the Cahiers de Charge. It's spelled C-A-H-I-E-R-D-E-S-C-H-A-R-G-E-S. You pull that up and it gives you all the regulations on what makes Tavel the Tavel. It's a Southern Rhone crew. And so it only produces rosé wine. So that's the, one of the first rules in there. They don't make sparkling. They don't make dessert. They don't, if to be Tavel, it has to be rosé and it has to come from a certain region in the, I'm thinking of the Department Guard, Department de Guard, I think is it. And I thought I saw production facilities in the Vaucluse, but I'm not sure. So it's a, just a bunch of communes where you can, they tell you where you can make the wine. They tell you the grapes you can use. So there are nine, well, they say nine, but it's more like 15 because they got the different colors of the grapes. So when oh. I talk about Grenache has to be 30 to 60% Grenache, we're talking Grenaches plural. So it says Grenache Noir, Grenache uh, Blanc, Grenache Gris, so the different colors okay. of the Grenaches. But that's mostly what makes up a Tavel wine. And it tells you how the vines have to be pruned. Wow. It tells you at what age they can be, uh, you know, the older vines, like this estate has vines going back to 1925. Chances are they're probably going to be Goblet style. You've seen a little low to the ground oh, right. so the wind right. doesn't mess them up, you know. Right. So, um, but they have lower yields. They tell you the yields. They tell you the amount of juice. They tell you what can be in the bottle or what the bottle size can be. Like they say, I wrote a couple things down from my podcast and it's so funny. They tell you what is forbidden. Oh, and let me tell you, and this so, is really so what is forbidden. 
forbidden is, I'm going to tell you in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, The the forbidden is, I know that was like rubber mulch. uh, And I can't remember what the French word for rubber mulch is, but that is forbidden. And something called uh, morceau de bois, which I think is wood chips. So no, putting the chips in the wine, you're not allowed to do that. Right. So if you're going to, yeah. No, so it's either barrel it's, or, or yeah. wood chips. Yeah. And, and some winemakers do actually age their Tavel. I didn't. And remember, this whole thing's in French. So if you can read French, that's great. I can read French, but sometimes I read it wrong. wrong. <laughs> so I could be mistranslating all this. And I apologize to your sponsor if I am messing up the, the Cahiers de Chardonnay. I did read that tap. Tavel wines do G-E-S. Now you can go ahead and use a translator. Did it go in there? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so it it's uh it's a, what's really cool about the Cahiers de Charge in, in most of the French appellations is they put history in there too. Very nice. Yeah. All all the information you need in a single in a single site. Yeah, and it's so helpful when you're studying. Because I know for the diploma, you know, you had to know how much, what's minimum alcohol content, the sugar content. And I remember doing Bordeaux, which is not my favorite region at all. But um, we were doing all this. I know. It's hard. I'm sorry, but it's hard. And it's all the sweet wines. And I remember writing. I give you credit because Italy, I know you love Italy. And that blows my mind. I can't like, there's just so many different rules, so many different. Yeah, you go little... live there for a while and it make, it gets easier. Okay. So, yeah. That's okay. I'll tell my husband. Okay. <laughs> but it helps. You've got to know those rules. And that's kind of the basis for learning about any wine. You pull up the, in Italy, uh, it's a, uh, what is their uh, regulation called? I'll think of it later. But yeah, you pull up those regulations and it tells you exactly, you know, when it was formed as an appellation, all the things you need to know about that wine, pour a glass, pull it up, run it through a translator and, and read it. And it's, um, it's, if you're a cork dork, it's fascinating read. (laughs) So I, I'm, I have a question. So this is done Sonnier, Mm -hmm. which for those who don't know, Val had said it's a bleed, right? So the other way of making a rosé for those who do not know is a direct press in which you take a, a, the fruit is picked to be a, a, a rosé. So it gets picked earlier to have the higher acid level. And then the, you bleed it off. And that's typically how, you know, that's how you can get the easier, the lighter colors and things like that. And here in the United States, when you see a dark color like this, it's not 100% true, but that's usually a sign it is a sonye. And here, a sonye you're getting two wines for one, you know, two birds with one, you know, feather or whatever. Um, you know, you're picking it to be the red wine and then you're just bleeding off the juice. And what that does is give you the the rosé wine, but it's giving you an added benefit to your red wine. So the the winemakers really are thinking of the red wine in, in a Sanye method here in the United States. But you're saying Tavel doesn't make red wine. No, so that is correct. So they are just doing a Sanye, but 
kind of it's really a direct press, but it's a Sanye. So yeah. I'm, I'm a little confused. <laughs> well, it's 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 more of a, you know, normally, like I said, a, a Sanye wine is a byproduct of the red, just like in uh, Abruzzo. The, the Tichero Swallow is a byproduct of Montepulciano de Abruzzo appellation. But I'm wondering, because I've always thought about this too, and, and I haven't been there, if all they're making is rosé, what are they doing with all that, that exactly. red juice? I think... They probably have some, they sell it because remember these guys down the road and even these guys here, the Chateau, Chateau de Segrier that I'm drinking and Domaine de la Morteray, they're in, uh, I believe they do a Lirac. This is actually a Cote de Rhone, but they do make a Tavel. I'm wondering if you can pull grapes in from other regions and just to make it a Vente de France or um. something like that. So they probably, I would guess they'd sell it. They do a lot of that in California. And then the crazier thing is, um, Laura, you're a winemaker. You know this in America, we can blend our red and white grapes to right. make a rosé. Right. In and France, you're not supposed to do that. Well, yeah, champagne, you know except what? for champagne. Wine, champagne's different. Champagne's yes. different. Yes. But hold on. In in this particular wine that that we have, hold on, I gotta find it. You're, you have pic, white grapes. There, yes, it's got pick pool in it. Yes, and so there is a pick pool uh, gris as well as okay. the Picpoul Blanc, but they get around this by, it's almost like a, it's almost like they do in, in the Cote de Rhone where they uh, co-ferment the Viognier. They're doing a field with the Syrah. Right. Before fermentation, that's how they get around it. They can, they can put the white grapes in with the red grapes. And so if they do that before fermentation, they can get away with it. Right. And that's how they get around it. Cause I was, I yeah. actually talked about, I'm like, well, that makes no sense. There are white gra gra Grenache in here and gray and uh, claret rose and uh, and all that. So that's how they get around that. So they're either co-fermenting or doing a field blend. Right. They're picking all at the same time, mm -hmm. but they are picking it to be at a at a, at a higher bricks level and a lower I think, acid yeah, level. Yeah, they're usually pretty ripe because look at where they are. Yeah. You know, they're they're in the south in the southern Rhone. So like in the northern Rhone where you got, you know, cooler climate, more granite soils, you know, it's you, you're down here. You're close to you're the very, very southern Rhone crew. I mean, Tavel's like the last one where there might be one below it, but it's like right there at the bottom. So then you get into Languedoc-Roussillon, which you know is sunny, hot, and dry. And then you get into Provence. So you're kind of right down there at that intersection almost. And you've got that uh hot summers so the grapes do get really really ripe and so you've got all those hot warm climate grapes developing all those tannins and that phenolic goodness and then you've got that mediterranean influence as well which kind of allows them to have you know kind of almost a they still have a diurnal swing but they have that warmer uh warm summer or warm spring hot summer warmer falls even though when i was in that area in November, all it did was freaking rain, but you know, it wasn't freezing. So yeah, so they, they do have a warmer climate that allows them to fully ripen their grapes. And do you know, um, like what their, um, what their soil is? Do you the, they do. They have several kinds. And the interesting thing between, I think it's always fun to study Northern Rhone versus Southern Rhone. Because Northern Rhone, mostly straight up Syrah, very few blends or Viognier, whatever you got. And then Southern Rhone, blend, 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 all blends. And then you've got the soil differences. You've got the climate differences. You've got the topology differences. So, yeah, you're dealing with more granite soils 
up in the northern Rhone, and then you drop down in the, in the southern Rhone, and you've got the uh, alluvial soils. Okay. You've got the, uh, what do they call the Galais? I guess it's called Galais. They're like big round river rocks. Right. Yeah, so they, they had it. Once upon a time, there was a glacier <laughs> way back. I uh, can't remember the period if it was, of course, before dinosaurs, but the glacier carved through the Rhone Valley and it kind of tumbled those stones around and polished them and made them all, all rocky. This kind of the alluvial area there. And now this, this glacier apparently lives somewhere in Switzerland and those meltwaters also feed into the Rhone. So it's kind of doing double duty there, form the soil on these rocky plains. And then you've got these galets, which are the remnants of the last ice age, which whenever that was. So that was kind of cool. So you got these, and what they do is they hold on to the heat, just like in Chateauneuf de Pop, you got those big coyote, Caillou, uh, they big, you know, and they hold on to that heat and allow those vines to stay warm if a drop drop in temperature, you know, yeah. during that diurnal swing. You've also got some sandy soils. I actually wrote them down because I know I'm trying to keep from like sucking all the oxygen out of this podcast here. So you got the sea, you got some sandy marl and some limestone. So they've some websites will say four different kinds of soil. I have like sand for elegance, limestone, marl, which gives you some of the aroma, aromaticity. Because if you stick your nose in the glass of Tavel, my nose, it's not even in the glass before the aromas start hitting. Yeah, mine too. Right? So that's, that's your aromaticity that you get. You're getting a lot of that. And of course, that, that pre-soak, I'm sure, probably helps with the aromas. Also adds a little age worthiness. And then, of course, you've got those galets. So sand, limestone, marl, and the alluvial soils in the galets is generally what they have. And each website will magically make their soil the most amazing soil <laughs> and elegant and fabulous and structured. You know, all those things. Absolutely. Yeah. This one has every, every clay hillside soil. Yes. The there are some, yeah. Which retains a little bit more water. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And probably a little bit more heat too with the clay. Do you think? I think clay soils generally tend to be, they can absorb heat, but yeah. I've heard them, I've heard them before talked about as cool. Okay. So, yeah, I, I'm think not of, too sure. Think of uh, a mud bath. Yeah. You know, how yeah. the feeling of the mud bath. And I could not I tell you which program it was where we had to know the difference between warm or cool soils. And, and I remember that was one of the ones that came up as cool in my, in my memory. Again, I could be misremembering. I'm old. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think between the three of us, <laughs> my mother always says CRS, can't remember shit. <laughs> oh, we can swear. Good. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Um, what can, for somebody who, ha who has not had a Tavel, what do you, how do you describe this wine to somebody? What can they expect? What, what aromas would they typically get? What? Okay. So what I did at, a uh, my wine purveyor, Dirk up in Monument, he was having a big rosé, uh, fundraiser. And we had all of these tables and all my friends were there magically because they were supporting the same you know event and it was fun to run into them and so so i was like oh from across the room you can see that's a tavel over there what's a tavel val mm -hmm. it's the rosé that behaves behaves like a red and that's i mean to put it in wines because if you go oh you know you've got lovely dark ripe summer red berry fruits and you've got you know maybe detectable tannins and they, they don't care it's like you know what can i have it with this barbecue pork sandwich yes i can <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I call it, I call it the rosé that has a little bit more structure. You can have it with a little bit more, um, not just a, like a meaty dish, but uh, a, a food with a lot of, lot more texture, a lot more elevated flavor. If you've got more elevated aromas, you can go and flavors, you can go more elevated on the food flavors as well. So it doesn't kill the wine. So where a, a nice little baby powder scented, you know, pink, dainty, uh, love them, but uh, rosé, but you may not want to go there with like a BLT or something, right? You know, where I want that salt, you know, and I've got this red fruit. So ripe red fruits are the first thing I always think of. And I think of like red raspberries, I think of red plums. And then sometimes you can get things like almonds. Sometimes you can get cedar, you know, because they've got all that garig down there, that brush scrub, got all that lavender. And sometimes in the wines in the south of France, I didn't know that smell until I wandered around Cap Dog, you know, for like three weeks in a French wine program. And I would wander through down to the beach. And I was like, what is that smell? This must be the Garig that old Mr. Parker was talking about, you know, that, that all the wine writers talked about. But I didn't know what it was. And it's a scrub, you know, kind of like in South Africa, you've got the, I um, can't remember what they called it. It's a scrub down there, but it's got a very unique scent to it. And it's the same thing with Garigues. You might get that. It's like a white wines and, you know, or I don't like red wines. This is like the happy medium and you chill it. Just want to take a quick moment to ask a favor. Exploring the Wine Glass has been nominated for a podcast award and I need your help to get to the finals. It will only take a couple of minutes, but every vote helps. The link to vote is in the show notes along with instructions. I am in the arts category. You can also head to my Instagram feed to click the link in my bio and follow the directions in the comments of my feed. Thanks so much. Slancha. Actually, if people are on the fence about rosé, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's an amazing wine, the wine. I'm really digging right. the wine that we have. <laughs> what are you guys picking up in yours? I'm curious because we and have different wines here. I've got, it's bursting with red fruit, like red raspberries, but mm -hmm. on the nose, I got a little orange peel on it. Mm -hmm. I I agree. Was, I get the red, I get the red raspberry, like a, um, a red plum type. Um, but I was, I don't know if you noticed me kind of perk up when you said almond, because I get almond in it, but I, I also, I didn't say orange to myself, but when you mm -hmm. said it, Debbie, I'm like, oh, I can see that. Um, yeah, but to me, there's orange blossom. Yeah, yeah there, there's a there's like a um, this this is going to sound bad, but it's not like an almond paste. You yeah. Know how, like, okay. Yes. Yeah. Like there's that's, something that I can't. There is a an aroma coming from this that is something from my childhood. Uh, when I lived in Rochelle, like this is what the vision is in my head, and I can't pinpoint it. I don't know if it's a I want to say maybe it's something floral, but I, I can't pinpoint it. Yeah. I'll yeah. dream about it tonight. It's it's pretty, it's not an esoteric wine at all. You know, when I when I talked about, like, I was talking about the wines of Sauvignon and I talked about being cerebral and they got, like, everything. And, you know, you just can't say enough to describe a Sauvignon that's got some age on it. But this is, like, it's so straightforward. This wine is just like, hi, nice to meet you. You're my new best friend. And you go with almost yes. everything. And I just, it, I cannot love this wine more in the summer. 
and now you had mentioned chilling. So mm-hmm. um, where in terms of, you know, most of our, most of our rosés are chilled. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in terms of the temperature here, what would you recommend as the a proper serving temperature for this? Or, or I don't think I want it at the same at the same temperature at the same temperature <laughs> as our as our Provence style rosés. Yeah, and yours is awesome, by the way. I did drink that whole bottle. Oh, as well. thank you. Yes, thank I you. loved it. Um, and I love a Cap Franc rosé. We could talk Loire. Oh my God, and their Cap Francs. But the um, I don't like it as cold as a white or as a high acid white because I even like some of my whites not refrigerator cold. You know, my whites I like out of the fridge about 20 minutes. In the fridge for two hours, out of the fridge for 20 minutes. My rosé is probably a little longer. These have been out about 30 minutes before I got on. So I would say somewhere between a full-bodied white, which I don't want refrigerator cold, probably around 55 maybe. And I would serve this around that. You know, I don't want... but. When it's really hot out, I do want it a little colder, but generally you get more flowers and fruit and you can start picking out all those other little things if it's a little bit warmer. But it's to taste. I think this is one of the few wines that drink it how you like it and it's not going to disappoint you. Yeah. yeah. I just think that because there is tannin in here. Yes. Yes. And for those who don't know, you know, when, and this, not that I ever, and Debbie knows, I never tell anybody what to drink, right? In fact, that's, that's my motto. I'll never tell anybody what to drink, but I'll always right. share what's in my glass, right? right? But the thing that drives me crazy is when people put the ice cube in the red wine, and it's not because they're putting an ice cube in the red wine, drink it however you want. But it's when that same person says, oh, I don't like how drying it is. So I'm going to put an ice in it. I'm going to put an ice cube in it. And colder temperatures increase the tannin effect on your palate. So that's what drives me crazy is you're you're contradicting yourself. If you want to drink it with an ice cube, go ahead. But you're saying you don't like the wine because of that drying effect. And you're increasing it by adding... Adding the ice cube, yeah. And yeah. this, to me, I, this has a lot more tannin than I than you think of when you think rosé. Uh-huh. So I definitely, for my palate, would pull it out longer than a typical rosé. Absolutely. You know? So you, you're gonna make one like this, Lori? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> do it for now. Just cab frog. Yeah. Well, our first vintage of Chenin Blanc. So we got a few years before we bring something else out. Yeah. But. You know, you can, there are some, there are some Loire Rosés with Cap Franc that do yes. have this kind of color that are just rocking. So you could yeah. pull it well, off. My, from day one, I have always wanted to make a white Cap Franc. Um, so that will probably be before my Rosé Cab Franc. Um, but then again, those two can go hand in hand because mm-hmm. then I can do it. That, that would probably be a Sanye, um, mm-hmm. you know, rosé to make that white and a rosé. But that's a few years down the road. Right. <laughs> is the AOC of Tavau because it's not that very, it's not very big. It's not. It's about four square miles. So if we're looking at, yeah, if we're looking at hectares, I want to say it's like 900 and something hectares. I actually wrote it down 905 up and down, but it's about four square miles of an area. And how much, how much 
of that, how much rosé under vine? Under vine, I think that is. Uh, I think that is. Oh, that is what's under nine hundred and five hectares of vineyards is what they said. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how much do they produce? I mean, because you know you can get Taval. There's a lot of Taval out there. Uh, under a half a million bottles a, a year, I believe. Their yield. I'm looking at their yields here. Thirty-eight. 34 to 48 hectoliters per hectare. That's about 1268 U.S. gallons with one hectare being about two and a half acres. So, and I think it depends on the grapes as well. But I think when I did my podcast, that was two years ago, Lori, I think. And I think back then I said. That shows you how, that shows you how much (sighs) you presented how you love Tavel. Because I listened to your podcast as it gets released. Oh, wow. Two years later, I'm still remembering how enthusiastic you were. (laughs) I actually, I'll be honest, I had to go back and re-listen because I'm like, what the hell did I say? Uh, Because I was talking about Memory Palace and how to learn the regions from north to south. Yes. And and the the southern Rhone was my basement. So talk about the the northern Rhone being my living room and how we have a sphinx in the living room and all that weirdness. And the red chair is Cornaw. And then the, the downstairs was the southern Rhone. Because think about it, when these vineyards were planted, Way back in like 890 BC or 897, uh, they didn't have Google and they didn't have, you know, did they even have pen and paper? Barely. But they had to remember where everything was. And so I was talking about Memory Palace because I used it to learn the Rhone and Burgundy. And Tavel is this big table in my basement. Lori, if you ever come to Colorado or Debbie, you'll see it. It's my big gaming table right in the middle of my bar and you're surrounded by booze bottles and the wine chillers. And it's, and, and that was how I remembered, you know, the different crews. And there was a chair. Yeah. There's chair was Lorac and the table was Tavel. And I couldn't remember what else I said about it. So I had to go back and listen to it. And I'm like, Oh, Lori's a trooper. Thank I thought you. it was awesome. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. And I have to say, I didn't realize it was two years ago because it is so fresh in my memory of, of it. Right. Deb, as soon as we said develop, yes. that was the first thing I said, said was like, oh, yeah. how, what their tonnage can be and what they can produce. Is there any regulation of, yes. you know, how some, some uh, AOCs and things they can't release until the next January are there any kind of weird regulations? I'm looking. I didn't see anything about release date. And and sometimes when I read these these cahiers de charge and they and they cahiers de charge and they'll say you know not to be released before one March the next year. Many of them say that, and I might just look over it, going, ah, oh, yeah, that's boring. And so I may not have made note of it. So if there is okay. a release date, it's probably something like that. Be the yields. Uh, I did write down as well. They have, uh, okay, no, it's vine density. Um, okay. 30, yeah, vine density, I wrote that down, 3,500 for Goble, minimum 3,500 vines per hectare. If people are interested in vine density, I don't particularly, I wrote it down, but I don't, I don't ever talk about vine density unless it's something, unless it stands out. And, and the mm-hmm. same with yield, the hectoliters per hectare, you know, depending on, you know, 1268 US gallons per, you know, 2.47 acres is about their yield. Uh, let's see. Where is it? We didn't even talk about where it is. True. No, we didn't. Yeah. So let's talk about where it is. Well, I mentioned it was in the Southern realm. That, and then, and then we kind of all got off and I'm like, well, maybe she said it at the very beginning when we were talking, <laughs> but I was like, 
Yeah, no, it is in southern France. I think we did talk about that yes. somewhere where the intersection of uh, Languedoc-Roussillon and right. Provence, and then you go a little bit north, 15 uh, kilometers northwest of Avignon. So if you've okay. ever been there, across the river from Chateauneuf-de-Pop, we have Lorac and Tavel, they're neighbors. So like I said, both of these producers here make everything from Tavel to Lorac to, so they can probably, you know, depending on where the grapes are growing, they make all of that stuff. That's a Cote de Rhone, you know, but it's the same bottle. Um, let's see, they're on the Western slope or the right bank of the, of the Rhone. So Chateauneuf-de-Pop is kind of across and a little bit, a little bit north. north. So a little bit further south. Okay. Yeah. Chateauneuf-de-Pop. So here's, my here's a very yeah. strange question. How wide is the Rhone? I mean, I don't need specific numbers. I don't know. Like, can can I swim across the Rhone? I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest. I've never seen what it. Is it. Right? I yeah. mean, because like, I'm curious. It, it, there's so much, you know, when you talk about Tavel, it always pops up right across the Rhone from Chateauneuf-de-Pau. But you know, you know what? They do, they do river cruises. I'll find out. The Rhone, you know, like mm -hmm. biking and stuff. And so it's got to be fairly wide. So I'm curious if there's any, you know, what, what's the effect of the Rhone? Is it very, is it similar effect of the Rhone on Chateauneuf-de-Pop as it has on Tavel? Because they're equal, they're, because they're kind of sort of equidistant from East-West Rhone. Well, you've you got to figure out the aspect because if you're looking at sun exposure, so probably right. different because you got Chateauneuf de Pop's going to have the western exposure, right? <laughs> if they're if they're sloping down toward the Rhone, that's we're assuming. You know, if they're sloping, right. the hillsides are sloping down toward the Rhone. So on this way, if you have sloping down toward the Rhone, which isn't the case with all of them, I believe, then you're not going to have the same effects. I mean, you still have a little bit of water. Uh, river effects or what lake effects or whatever and but remember you've got the mediterranean influence as well so i don't think it's i'm looking right here to see if we can know how how uh how wide it is it is 813 kilometers long uh doesn't say how wide it is wikipedia that's a good question i don't know if you can swim it but i know like you said you do have the uh it's not doesn't look that wide at all because you yeah, do have those riverbait cruises yeah yeah, and like yeah. I'm just you can swim it. 500 meters wide. Oh, where'd you find that? It's a cake. I don't know. I googled it. Yeah, you could swim. Rhone River detailed navigation guide and maps. French waterways. That's not wide at all. That's, That's not wide at all. In which short, steep waves may generate by souther southerly winds and eleven diversion canals in which locks are generally located towards the downstream end. Piece of cake. So you could you could drink uh, your Tavel in the morning, and as the sun sets, swim across it, Lori, and grab across, yourself a CDP. I know <laughs> what a perfect day that is. I know that's one right? of those that's one of those like bucket list places that you know I, I would love to do Northern Road and then go down to the Southern Rhone and then hang out Long Dark Roussillon for a while because that's one of my favorite regions and I just I love, love Southern to to France. France. I just love, love to go to France for a month and just yeah, take it I know there. you and yeah. me too, Deb. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't just, do it in November when it's yeah, raining. Yeah. Went and open a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just curious because I find it interesting. I don't know if it's just <laughs> simply because, you know, Chateauneuf is such a well-known region that it's always used as 
the it's focal a reference point. point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or if, you know, well, you know, we have the same influence or we have this or that, you know, I mean, very different grapes, very different styles. Actually, of wine. Not, not even. You got almost the same grapes in CDP. Style. Yeah. Style. Yes. Style. Different style. Styles. Sorry. And, style. and actually, yes. these guys make Chateauneuf de Pop as well. So, yeah, I mean, they make it all. Okay. But you still got the Pope connection, too. Because there was a pope that loved him some Tavel so much, that oh. I think they, I think it was the I'm, I wrote it down Prieure de Montezargues. He had it delivered to his home. This was in the 14th century, so it's around the Chateauneuf de Pop time, okay. and he, it was Pope Innocent the sixth, Six? okay. and he loved it so much he had it delivered to his home. So I call it one of his first, one of the first wine clubs if you think about it. <laughs> and then when the yeah, I think it's the first wine club. Hey, I love it. You know, send it to my house, deliver it. I mean, that's what I like. It show up on my doorstep. Then when they moved the papacy back to Rome, they had all this Tavel sent to Rome as well, which which went wow, on until that's, I think after the French Revolution. That's dedication. That's it's, a pure love of the wine. Hey, <laughs> religion and wine are so closely tied. Yes. It's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Well, shall we go in and talk about our, our wine, Laurie Chateau? Yeah. Quira? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, with the chateau on the same, like what we're used to here, you know, in New York, California, and right. stuff. Yeah, so I'll I will go into it. Let's see. All oh, right. cute. <laughs> um. All right. So here we go. All right. So, uh, Chateau de Acaria is an estate winery in Tavel, and that's what Debbie was talking about. So it is actually 244 acres, of which they keep 161 under 161 acres under vine. And uh, Chateau Acaria has been making wines in Tavel since the end of the 16th century. So they are actually one of the oldest um, wineries in the region. So maybe the monk, uh, maybe the Pope was getting it or no, I guess he would before that. Um, but uh, the, these were, uh, it started with the monks. Um, I need to go to the next slide. Um, it started with the, the monks in the Abbey of, and this one I am going to destroy, Villeneuve-les-Avignon. So the monks of Villeneuve-les-Avignon. And they actually transferred a large tract of the land to Count Acaria, which is where the winery's name comes from. And so uh, they planted vines, and these vines have been established for over 400 years. Wow. Right? What? Incredible. Incredible. So they, uh, Chateau Acaria is actually the largest estate in Tavel. And as Debbie said, it's the uh, one of very, very few who actually have contiguous vineyards uh, as opposed to having a vineyard, you know, around the region. They uh, produce, and this blows my mind, the, all, all of their vineyards, so the uh, 161 vines are actually all sustainably farmed. 
They have this elaborate um, weather station in the center of the vineyard to regulate the water um, intake of the vines so that they only water when absolutely necessary. And in 2014, uh, they were crowned with the high the High Environmental Value Certification, or Halt Valer Environmentalaire. And this certification attests to the compliance throughout the estate that they are uh, environmentally uh, focused and there are significant thresholds that they must maintain, including biodiversity, pesticide products, fertilization management, and water resources that they must prove that they are doing. Um, and only farms that have reached the third and maximum level are able to display this uh, logo. And they are one of very few who are able to do so. Uh, Count Louis uh, Joseph de Acaria built a residence at the beginning of the 1600s. And over the years, this has changed hands, you know, over uh, to different owners. But in the in 1920, uh, I'm going to say Jean. Uh, it is J E A M, but I'm probably Jean. saying Jean. Yeah. Jean um, Olivier purchased it in 1920, and he did replant some of the vines, just those surrounding the 18th century chateau. And today, Chateau Acaria is uh, owned or now run by his son-in-law, by Jean Ovalier's uh, son-in-law, Paul Debez, and his son, Vincent and Bruno. And that is Bruno and Vincent in the picture. Okay, so Vincent is the actual winemaker and Bruno is in charge of sales and marketing. And together they have updated the facilities so that there is the highest technology to the winemaking, yet still focused in on the old style. And then the, this is what Val was talking about. Oh, gosh, yes. Love, the, love that. Rocks, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the grapes are actually hand-picked. And I don't know, Val, is that a requirement in Tavel, or is this something it, that Chateau Acaria does? It is for the goble vines, because as you can imagine, you can't machine pick oh, those. Oh, true. But I, yeah. True, true. Okay. So they are hand-picked. All 161 acres are hand-picked, uh, and they are the sandy slopes of Tavel. The mesoclimate is perfect for Grenache. So that is Chateau de Acaria. So thank you very much for sponsoring, and thank you to Cobrand to allowing us to try this beautiful wine. And this wine retails for $21.99. Great price, too. And you can remember that label because of the diagonal yep. uh, print on the label. That's how yes, I remember that bottle. Miss, I, oh, yeah. I can't pronounce it. Miss and Mise en Bolti. Yeah. En Bolti. Made and bottled Bottle. at the Chateau. At the Chateau. At the Chateau. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very so, cool. What is the average price uh, of a Tavel? What can somebody... What can somebody expect if they walk into a store to to pay for a bottle? I, you know, average. I've got one here. It's about fourteen or fifteen. Okay. Um, I think this this one, and I think the Domaine de la Motoray was almost twice that. So I think you can pay anywhere from fifteen to thirty something. Depends okay. on the producer and depends on where you get it. 
you know, okay. so yeah, this, but this one was about 15, I believe. Yeah. So and besides I, the pork, what are the foods, <laughs> what what was are that? foods would you suggest pairing with a Tavo rosé? Oh my gosh. Annie's cheddar bunnies. <laughs> That's yeah. like my favorite wine snack. I know. Annie's cheddar bunnies, the, the little white cracker squares, uh, the white cheddar oh. squares. Uh -huh. Oh my God. I haven't had those in like forever. Yeah. All right. So I've never had them at all and don't know what they are. So no, it's, we little cheesy crackers. Ours, yeah. Ours aren't Annie's. Oh, oh okay. are they the ones that come in the square thing? Do you take them to school for lunch? Yes. No, yes. no, not the ones with the peanut butter in them. No, 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 no. cheese in it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. These yeah. are just yeah. made with cheese. They're just little like, yeah. they look like Cheez-Its. Yeah. Um, I'm not pushing. Yeah. yeah. I shouldn't be I pushing exactly. brands. They're not I, sponsoring I, you. Um, yeah. Also, uh, Trader Joe's potato chips around Thanksgiving time. They have the sage Thanksgiving stuffer. Oh my God. Sage. Anything with sage would be incredible with this. Yes, absolutely. Uh, today I had it with a pastrami and light Havarti sandwich Ooh, with Dijon. Wonderful. Anything with Dijon. Absolutely. I think, you know, it, the, the thing with, uh, when I do presentations or whatever, when I talk about wine, I usually, some of the presentations I do, I have chefs who will pair that will, will pair the different foods, but I pour all six wines at once and I have them all the glasses laid out because I think it's subjective. There are tools for pairing, you know, acid, acid, body, you know, components, texture, you know, flavor, the whole thing. Uh, but I've found that it, it's an experience that some people are, you know, digging on the fried Cornish hens with the English bubbly. And then some people are like, no, I like it with this, you know, well, you know everybody's I, I go with, with the motto, everyone's palate's different. Yes. So what I think is good, you might try it and be like, oh my God, no. And that's the thing that what you thought was good 30 years ago. True. It's like, how the heck did I ever drink that with this? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, one of my pet peeves is uh, like milk chocolate with wine. And I don't know how my personal I don't I, I'm more of a dark chocolate girl, you know, and I like a little bit of sea salt and tannin if I'm going to put chocolate with a red wine. You know, but mm -hmm. I had some Peruvian chocolate the other day because I had Tavel with lunch and mm -hmm. it was fine. You know, it was like, okay, you know, and so it's all about, I think your mood. Absolutely. The, the season, yeah. uh, the, where you are at the time, what you're doing at the time. There are things that I'll eat and drink in Italy that I don't eat and drink here. Right. It's all subjective. Totally and I say, good. try it all. <laughs> so how about in the fall, how about pumpkin soup or pumpkin yes. ravioli? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. This would Absolutely. taste good with that. Because pumpkin ravioli the, uh, the complexity and yep. the weight yep 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 wine. or butternut squash ravioli butternut squash Ooh. ravioli absolutely mm -hmm. well let, let's get through the summer first yeah yeah, yeah. yeah grilled grilled zucchini right now we're doing grilled zucchini that's it yes yes yeah i do i think it can go with a lot but um I, I, the sage is blowing my mind. I think that that is the yeah. perfect for this wine that, that Debbie and I have. Uh, I agree. A sage, a sage concept is, is perfect. Oh, uh, fried sage leaves on top of prosciutto and, uh, uh yes, yeah. please. Yeah. Yes, yeah. please. What about Michael and Karen? What do you, what were you guys drinking yeah. eat with this? I'm curious. 
Yeah, and I and Michael and Karen, are you drinking a Tavel tonight? But um, what's in your glass, Michael and Karen? And while they're doing that, I guess we should have warned you, um, Val. We uh -huh. kind of always end with, if you're leaving here and you just want somebody to know five facts, you know, because we talk about so much over the hour. Okay, what would be five facts that you would say? About Tavel. Okay, let's see. Well, of course, it's the only only rosé crew in the Southern Rhone, and it's from the Southern Rhone, so it's it's really the only one in the Rhone. So that's the one. Uh, the second one would be, I think it's a very versatile wine, and and it's very approachable. I I mean, you could say it's subjective. I say it's a fact. Um, I say we could thank a, a glacier for carving out that valley, for providing the water to the Rhone, and for giving us those beautiful galets. And I've, the fourth fact I would say, it is all the colors of the grapes, the noir, the rose, the gris, the blanc, uh, the, uh, the main grapes, and then of course the accessory grapes. So I would say it, it could have, this one has five grapes in it, you know. Um, and the last one, I wrote down a quote from Christophe Tassan, and I, I did end my other podcast with it. I interviewed this guy, and he is fascinating. He's what they call a meilleur ouvrier de France laureate. It's like the best sommelier in, in France. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, there was a woman who got it too, who's just uh, Pascal. She's fantastic. She won it two years ago. And here's what he says. He's, he was brought up in the Rhone wine and restaurant industry. And I interviewed him like outside of a kitchen in a San Francisco restaurant. And we got the dishes and the noise and he was <laughs> loving. It. He goes, no, this is home for me. I'm on my way to work and we're gonna, you know, go with a French accent. And here's what he says for the fifth, fic, fic, fifth fact about Tavel. Gorgeous Tavel dresses in a thousand shades of pink to seduce and captivate the senses. Luminous like no other wine, it inspires the chef, the eater and the eaten. Wow! And did he just did he just whip that out, or was that? that He's a Rhone ambassador that? as well, so it, he wrote it somewhere. And so, yeah, they have a uh, Inter Rhone has a course you can go through and do the Rhone ambassador thing, and uh, that is a fascinating course if you have time to do it. It's intense, but I did it, and it was a lot of fun. And he is a Rhone ambassador as well, and he he said that, and I just thought that pretty much sums it up. It inspires wow. the chef, the eater, and the eaten. That is, it inspires my cheddar I like, bunnies. I like that quote a lot. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. I, I would sum it up with that. It just it's it that quote pretty much says it all. It's gorgeous and it just satisfies everybody. I do, and I, I have to agree. I think that this is um I wouldn't classify it as an easy drinking. Okay. Um, you know, um because I think when most people in our area think easy drinking, this is not it. Okay. You know, it's a more of a lighter styled wine. You're in a very but, hot place too, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but this is, this is a beautiful wine that is elegant, complex, and offers so much you know, variety of what you can pair with it and how you can enjoy it, that it makes it a, a, something that you want to have as a staple in your cellar. 
You do. And at $21.99, it's really, it's affordable. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it, it, I, I really think it's something that will go with every, almost, almost everything. Anything yeah, you want well, it to go with, you can make it work. Yes. You know, with a little salt yeah. in one hand and a lemon in the other, you can make any yeah. food work with any wine. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, it, it's a beautiful wine. It's it. And the, the reason. It does have, I counted how many grapes this has in it. One, two, oh, yeah. Three, four or five. It has seven grapes in it. Okay. Grenache, Claret, Cinsault, Movedra, Syrah, Burb. Burbolink. Burbolink. Yeah, there you go. And pick Very nice. Okay. So you've nice. got some some of those, you don't have any of the accessory grapes. So they've got the main grapes that you can have. And then the Calotour Noir, the Carignan Blanc, and the Carignan Noir are actually what they call accessory grapes. I call them accessories oh, okay. to the wine crime. Okay. And they can't have any more than 10% of the vineyard. So I'm always looking for a, a wine that has one of the accessory grapes. This one actually, oh, okay. this one does, Carignan, 10%. Carignan? So. Oh, I love Carignan. Yeah, it's accessory grape to the crime this here. One, it's 45% Grenache Noir. Yeah, 30 and 60% yeah. is your Grenaches uh, yep. by law. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they have to have that. And then it's 10% of a, the total of accessory grapes or 10% of each of the accessory grapes? Uh, no more than... Yeah, so the Claret's 20 30, I think. This. No more than 30% yeah. of each grape or something like that. But 10% is the vineyard. No more than 10% of vineyard plantings can oh, be the accessory grapes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. No, single, oh, no single primary variety may exceed 60% of vineyard plantings either. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Wow. I mean, somebody's going to come into your vineyard and go, oh, I don't know, you got 61%. 62%, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this this is 20% um, Claret, 15% Cinso, 8% Movedra, okay. 6 Syrah, 4 Bourbon. Come on, Val, help me out here. The white grape. Yeah, Bour Blanc, and 2% uh, Pickpole. And it was aged for three years. Nice. Before yeah, that's see. probably going to have a little so bit more. We're, we're drinking this upon release because it's 2021. Okay, so yours right. actually has a little more age on it, which has probably going to have a little more leaching from the wood, the tannins, a little bit more structure. And this one, my 2018, I bought it in probably 2018 or 2019. Well, I didn't buy it in 2018 because it wasn't made yet. So I probably bought it in 2019 or 2020. So yours is actually more aged where mine's a little bit more you know, loose, really, yeah. <laughs> if that's the right word. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So we're I, coming up on our nine o'clock hour here. All right. Yeah. Try and keep it to an hour. I mean, we, we all can sit here and talk all night. Yes. About, about it. But it looks uh, like Michael's heading to dinner with a pick pool Mike. blanc in hand. Yes. yes. Enjoy Michael. Um, yes. yes. So next month we are, talking uni blanc uh-oh and we have a special guest and a ho and a sponsor hein Cognac. this is huge yes this is really huge okay. so we will be speaking we will be we talking will be about cognac. cognac um uh we're talking uh vintage cognac versus uh non-vintage cognac and we will be talking with the head of uh, winemaker 
I don't know if they're actually called that. I think he's got he's got a special name, um, cognac maker. <laughs> yeah, distiller. Or, or... Just, yeah, for for Hein, and uh, so we are excited about that. But um, Deb, the date. The date. Oh my gosh. Well, I always count on Deb for the date. The third. Um, the third. Uh, it is July nineteenth. July nineteenth. July nineteenth. Be at one p.m. Eastern time, ten a.m. Pacific time, and fill in the blanks if you live somewhere else in the country. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I will. I will be sipping on cognac at ten in the morning. Yes, yes ma'am. And I will be happy to do so. And I'll be but, sipping on it before I go into work. <laughs> <laughs> To run the restaurant. You'll so, need it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let me so, tell you. That'll be the heat of the summer. Oh, wait. It's the 19th? 19th, yes. Okay. Okay. I might have it. We'll talk. Okay. So, okay. Val, I just want to yeah. thank you very much for being so generous with your time and your knowledge and sharing it with us and spending your evening with us. It was a pleasure to see you again. It was only virtual. <laughs> I know. It was good to yeah. see you, too. I mean, I haven't seen you since, what, 2017? Yes. Yeah, yeah like the Wine Bloggers yeah. Conference. Yeah. But it was, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I just felt like, wow, this is three, three, three gals talking wine. That's right. A, that's a good time. Thank you so much. It is. Yes. You guys Thank did a great job. Thank you. And Val, if you just want to tell everybody one last time how they can find you on social media and talk about your podcast again. Oh, sure. Yes. I'm Vino with Val on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not on Facebook very much. I am Wine Gal Unboxed on Twitter. And the podcast is called Glass, as in wine glass, Glass in Session. And it's everywhere you get your podcasts. And you can get a hold of me at val at glassandsession.com. And I highly recommend it. I listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining. And thank you, Val, for being thank our special guys. guest. And I hope right, to talk you. to you again soon. Yeah. I hope so. Thank Take you. Care, Bye. 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 This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music? Wine by Kevens. Until next week, Slancha. I want to let you guys right now. Right now.